all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? <laughs> I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. You want to do it? You practiced nah, it last. Oh. Uh, go for it. <laughs> Follow us Insta, Twitter, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitch. I did a TikTok video recently. Oh, at All Bad Things Pod. Email us allbadthingspod at gmail.com. Join our Facebook discussion group and our Discord, and we sign scripts. Yes, we do. And send them out to people who ask for them. Yes. Do all of those things. Yes. Do all those <laughs> things. Well, you, you went in you kind of. I off, did. Yeah. I did. I did go off script there. <laughs> but yes, do all those things. We just sent a script to a couple of people, actually. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I don't oh, okay. Name oh, anybody. That's, that's true. Yeah, that's <laughs> just fine. in case. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, very yeah. true. But yes, please ask for those. <sighs> yes, because we have them, and we would like to get rid of them. <laughs> we will doth send them to you. <laughs> ah. So you, of... so you just played a gig. A four-hour gig. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Yeah, we was, played eight to that... midnight. And now it's after midnight. That's fucking brutal. Yes. So, I'm not going to state the name of this place, but I would like to... T- you know where it is. Yes, you know I know. Where it is. Mm-hmm. I would like to... Although I've never been inside there. You don't want to. Okay. <laughs> Let me set the scene for you tonight. Sure. Um, Obviously, at a bar, things don't get better as the night goes on. That is generally true. Yeah. <laughs> or, at a, or at a club. Right. <laughs> And at a dive bar, you can just <laughs> yeah. multiply that. So, uh, um, you can multiply that generally by about three. Right. That's a good uh, multiplier to start with when you've got people hanging out at a place that's just a little seedy. There's a reason those guys are hanging out there. Yeah. <laughs> so, when we played there last time, which was the first time we played there, a fist fight broke out. That's right. <clears throat> and they got to stay. And they all stayed. Yeah. Yes, they all stayed. I <laughs> guess they just kissed and, like, and made made up. I don't yeah. know. Um, Damn it, Dale! Just just say just apologize. <laughs> it probably was Dale too. Um, There's definitely a guy named Dale in that bar at all times. It's probably Ted. Yeah. Yes. Um, the owner's name is probably Dale. Yes. So last time there was only like multiple um, Confederate flag sightings. I say only, but we'll see why. Um, and, uh, one fist fight, right? This time we got to add to the list. Oh, in flags or fist fights or both? So things completely different. Oh, New, okay. new adventures okay. at Dive Bar. Um, so first off, <clears throat> this was the first time that about halfway through the set, everything just started smelling like pee. Okay. The inside right. of the bar smelled like pee. We're off to a good start. Part of that's probably because... <laughs> The men's room was right next to the stage. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. it was really gross. Yeah. But also, at one point, we'll start with the darkest and then get jollier from there. Then we'll find the light. Yeah. Um. It a man and a woman came out of the men's room. Now yeah. this is a single little room bathroom, sure. right? Okay. Yep. She appeared. Out of it to a point where nothing behind the eyes. Yeah. And he was not. So clearly something didn't, was not good going on there. Fortunately. I'm hoping she was just buying drugs. uh, (laughs) That that would be the best case scenario. Fortunately, like he tried to leave with her and somebody like brought her back. So somebody Uh, was watching out for her. So not sure exactly what happened there. Just ugh. Um... Then your sister mm-hmm. and your cousin saw somebody giving somebody else a blowjob <laughs> outside. Oh, <laughs> uh, that sounds like a that sounds like a dang good old time. That's yeah. that sounds like a fucking fraternity party. Is exactly what that sounds like. And I except I, imagine I, all with middle aged and older. Yeah, that's people. what makes it really gross. It is. Yeah, not that it's not that it's any really less gross <laughs> no. when we're talking about a bunch of twenty year olds. It's just sadder. Right. Yeah. Then here's the lightest, the the nicest, lightest thing. Um, the um, uh, the owner of this establishment or manager, I'm not sure what she is. 
um, I'm, I won't say her name, but the, a woman, um, she's very nice and very fun. She knows how to break up a fist fight. I saw her do that. Um, so she knows how to handle herself, but she's also like, she'll get out and dance and hype up the crowd and everything. And, uh, so you have your own hype man. Yeah, she and, and she's really good at it. And she, like, nearing the end of the evening, she came out and was, like, dancing and dancing. And a knife fell out of her boot. <laughs> Which is when we learned that uh, our, our friend can, carries a knife in she, her boot. She can knife you if she, if, yes. if she so chooses. Yes. And I looked later in the night, and sure enough, you could see the handle of the knife yeah. in her boot. And then you start to realize that she, she walks differently with that one foot. <laughs> Yeah. I don't blame her. No, given the clientele, no. given the two times you've been there, <laughs> yes, <laughs> somebody's got a weapon, and everybody's got a weapon in their car. You know that. For well, I did sure. see somebody else like with a holster. It was yeah. a knife, not a gun. That's good. But uh, yeah, they actually had to. Uh, well, they passed a law here about ten years ago when I was still in the restaurant business that you could have, you know. Concealed carry in a bar, but most bars and restaurants were like, no, you can't. No firearms, Because yeah. you can <laughs> and, dictate what's allowed on the premises yes. of your own establishment, yeah. Gee, I, I wonder if all those people had guns inside, like, what the end result of that would fucking be one night. Jesus. You know, so, yeah. So that was all bad gigs. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, uh, what did you start with and what did you end with? Um, we ended with Give Me One Reason by Tracy Chapman. But oh, then there okay. was an encore. It was sure. somebody's birthday, so we did Birthday by the Beatles. There you go. What do we start with? I don't remember what we started with. Starship. Oh, no. Baggage I'm Claim. Kidding. Yeah, it's not a bad song to start with. Yeah. Especially I don't know at that. Who that's by. Uh, that is by Katie Tunstall, I think. Right? No, she did the. Ooh-hoo. Oh, that's the song I'm thinking of. Black Horse and a Cherry Tree. Oh, Baggage Claim second. is. Uh, yeah. that's a... I have been dragging yeah. around your sensitive ego. Is that a country song? It is absolutely yeah, a country okay. song. It's probably like Miranda Lambert or Brandy yeah. Carlisle. <laughs> anyway, that was not my sure. evening. Brandy Carlisle de- definitely exists. I'm just not sure if as a country singer. She is, yes. Oh, yes, is she? she oh, is. really? She absolutely is. I thought yeah. you were kind of just joking. No, no. All right. I wasn't. I know those two people are country singers. Anyway. Sounds like a sounds like a fine establishment. Yeah. And it sounds I mean, we'll see what the pool hall is like tomorrow. <laughs> oh hey. yeah. I will not wear any uh, Buffalo Bills merch out to uh <laughs> to a place I've never been. Okay. <laughs> Just as a general rule. Yeah. You never know. You're gonna get a comment from somebody at some point. But, uh, but what's, uh, what do we have in store? All right. Two nights. Or, or multiple nights. Is this a two Yeah. It's kind of a series. Okay. We'll say. A continuing, what I am envisioning to be a continuing three-part series. Okay. Total three parts. Um, three separate disasters with a very common theme. Theme, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So this is part one of... London Underground. Okay. The Stratford Tube Crash. Oh. So we will that be... That does not sound good at all. Yes. We'll be visiting the tube. Which so, is the subway, correct? Yeah. Yeah. The subway system of London, also known as the tube, is the longest metro system in Europe. And we know that Europe has way more metro well, Europe, than we do. Uh, well, Europe sure. had been in... Involved in civilization for so long by the time a car came around that their infrastructure was already built around mass transit to a degree. Well, some uh, of uh, our larger cities support mm-hmm. mass transit like yeah, that but, too. But, but in America, that's it. <coughs> There's like, what, four or five cities where you can rely on mass transit? Well, New York, obviously, famously. Yep. Boston, Boston has a great... The T is great. D.C. D.C. Has Charlotte has a mini version. Light rail. Yep. There's a few places with light rail. Mm-hmm. Street cars too in some places. Yeah. I think light rail is the way to go. Well, you don't have to dig, necessarily, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's kind of fun. Uh, It currently hosts an estimated 1.35 billion passengers annually. Yeah, that's... Mm -hmm. And generates annual revenue of over 2.5 billion pounds. 
While accidents, especially deadly ones, are extremely rare sure. given the traffic volume of the tube, we are going to eventually cover a trio of notable specifically non-criminal disasters, right? Because there was okay. the bombing, very... Actually, I think there's been more than one, but um, the infamously... One? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Or 05? 7, 7, 04, whatever. Or 05. 05. Or, I think it was 05. Now we should I know, but I don't know. It was a bigger um, event for them than it was for us. <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> um, I do remember it wasn't, like, years and years after 9-11, because mm-hmm. it was kind of like... Pretty close like, together. Yeah. Um... So these are the three disasters. The 1953 Stratford tube crash, which is tonight's, or today's, this episode's. The 1975 Moorgate tube crash, and the 1987 King's Cross fire. Mm. And so we'll start with the first. So on April 8th, 1953, 12 people died, and up to, the the reports vary a little bit, 49 more were injured when one subway train collided rear-ended oh, another man. subway train near stratford station oh. so uh primary sources are bbc british buffet those old oh, um, yeah, the videos. Yep. Mm-hmm. british transport police chat gpt just to point me in the right direction essex live the guardian london topia the mirror statista 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 and wikipedia um so i am Presenting these as this three-part series really as an excuse to hugely dissect the socio-political, economical milieu of post-war England. Sure. It's a very specific thing. Right? And there's a lot of different things going on. Yes. There's a huge black market. In, in Europe in the 1950s. What does that have to do? Wait, what? No, I'm just, I'm just, you were saying economical. I'm saying there was all sorts of uh, different okay. economies I wasn't going to go there, but, <clears throat> but But there okay. was. I mean. Okay. I don't doubt that. Yeah. It's just an interesting point to bring up. <laughs> um, so it's been a bit since we've discussed the London Tube, but do you remember we did the Bethnal Green? That was a crowd crush, essentially, right? Yes, right? That was during the Blitz, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a bombing. It turned out... It, well, it, it was on the stairwell. Yes. Yes, yes. It was, Man, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, and that, I that looked was it up. A... Episode 76, four years ago. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are we on 309? This is 310. Oh, my God. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. We're approaching our sixth anniversary. Both our wedding Very anniversary fast. and then the pod anniversary. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, now I think, although I honestly don't remember if that episode maybe gives some context to the tube pre-war, we'll say yes, I don't know for sure, sure. but go back and listen to it if you want, but super summarizing. It gives an idea of how important this system is. Yeah. So super summarizing the London underground rose to meet the meet needs well beyond its mission to transport citizens in a busy metropolis famously served as shelters uh, during the Blitz and bombings, uh, air raids. But it also was used to store national treasures during the war to keep them safe, serve as as more secure offices for civil civil and military officials, and even serve as ad hoc munitions plants. Sure. So, So we are going to pick up as the war is winding down. So, World War II, in case anybody couldn't tell. What happened? (laughs) Why? What happened? (laughs) So as the war was winding down, Great Britain was at a political crossroads. Sure. The election for prime minister took place on July 5th, 1945, three months, just three months shy, about three months shy of, uh, of, sorry, just shy of three months after VE Day. Okay. When Germany surrendered. Um, in the end, the winner, and we talked about this when we talked about, um, uh, what's his name? Did Truman succeed Roosevelt? Was it Roosevelt Truman? Okay. That it wasn't Roosevelt and Churchill sitting down at the end of the war to hash things out. It was Truman Mm -hmm. and Clement Attlee. Because Churchill didn't win the election. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess I forget about that. Right. Yeah. So. And this is also when they, they still have a king. 
Queen Elizabeth. No, they they have Queen. Nope, it's Queen Elizabeth. Is it it her by then? I think so. I think she was in the. She was super young. Wait, she was like ninety something when she died, which was recently. Oh, you know what? Maybe they did have a king. Maybe it was her dad. Yeah. Well, the king's speech is about the guy when the war began. That's true. But I, but I think he was still the king when the war ended. I think, I think you're she right. became think queen. It was like shortly a, thereafter. Yeah, something like that. I want to say she became queen in like 1952. I think you're right that it was the early 50s. Her, she had her sesquicentennial or whatever. That's no, 150 I, years. She no, no, she did not reign <laughs> 150. <laughs> 75 not. years. She did get hit 75 years. Yeah, I'm almost crazy. positive. Yeah. So what was 75 years ago? That would have been 47. Yep. Yeah, no. Yeah, 75 years ago? Oh. Would have been 47. Or no, oh shit. 48. <laughs> We're so bad at this. Hey, Siri. No, it would have been 1948. When was Queen Elizabeth coronated? June 2nd, 53. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Whatever. We're yes. so we so we're we not have good a, Anglophiles. Well, we have a new prime minister, which is important, yes. but we mm-hmm. also have the same king we've had through the entire war. Interestingly, if her coronation was on June 2nd, 1953, this disaster happened April 8th, 1953. Oh, so Very interesting. Was, yeah. I didn't bring that up. Anyway, um, so if you look back on it, it's pretty wild that the prime minister who led the country during the bulk of a devastating war that ended in victory... Did not win re-election. Yeah, they were kind of. Well. Yeah, there's that's a whole. There's there have been some good done reasons why he wasn't re-elected. First of all, prime ministers aren't elected. Did you know that? That's, well, British that's right. prime ministers aren't elected there's by the general of, election. Correct. There's an election to vote those people in who would vote for your supposed. Basically, yeah. yes. It's a and parliament I went, Yes, and let's talk about it so much because yeah. I dug very that deep. That is true. It's not a direct vote. Yes, I didn't know this and I really looked into it because <laughs> I did not know. I barely know how our government functions. It doesn't. Spoiler alert. But um, So when I say that Attlee, quote, defeated Churchill, it's through a much different machination than just like a straight election. We have, for example, in the United States, a presidential election, a general election. Mm-hmm. Individuals vote for president. Now, we also have the stupid fucking electoral college. Well, we actually, college, we don't whatever. vote for president. We vote for our electors. Right. Which That's, is... Yeah. Such bullshit. Anyway. Um, But anyway, did you know not only are prime ministers not elected, they don't serve set terms? I did know that. Yeah, Yeah, I didn't know that. Because somebody can call a vote at any time. Yeah, basically. So their entire shtick is that they serve literally, quote, as at his or her majesty's pleasure. Sure. Um, And I'm sorry. I think monarchies are the fucking dumbest things ever. Well, they've proven um, we know what they are. We know what the result of the bar yeah. is, you know. Um, but that's not even really how it works anymore. It's not like King Charles isn't doesn't out have there. huge political power. Well, they're certainly not the ones literally calling the shots. No. Basically, it's not a hundred years for ago. Decades and decades, it's really been more at Parliament's pleasure. Mm-hmm. That's how it's been. Um, Done. No, the the monarchy lost a lot of power in several countries after World War One. Yeah, because people were kind of like, um, "Why were we doing this mm-hmm. again?" Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was kind of the beginning of the end of like real monarchy monarchies. Mm-hmm. And today, they I mean, they kind of really don't exist anymore. They, I mean, they exist. No, in, they absolutely do. Right, but not on the level that they did in Europe. Not not. Uh, the same as what they used to no. be. <laughs> that's true. No, that's, still, that's been gone for literally about a century now. I mean, they still spend billions on their coronation. Billions of public dollars on their I don't get it. Like, it's so weird same. to me. Like, it, it, it's like, why are you... Uh, like, you could use that money for so many other things. Especially during, like, an energy crisis. There were a lot of British people who are not cool with that. Yeah. <laughs> that happened, understandably. Anyway, um, the House of Commons is really who chooses the PM, basically... Um, which is why I'm going to go into a completely unnecessary and entirely fascinating dive into Parliament, as explained by an American who uses Wikipedia and ChatGPT, so everyone British is welcome to yell at me. (laughs) So, British Parliament is a bicameral governing body, meaning, like in the United States, 
there are two separate bodies within the single body of parliament. So we have the Senate and the House of Representatives. They have the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Is that the people with all the funny titles? Oh, like yeah, the, we're getting yeah, into... Yeah, yeah, there is... I think there is at least one funny name we're going to get to do. Oh, okay. Like, do, do you remember the one that you uh, that you did way back in our episodes where... You did this. Oh, my God. <laughs> do you remember um, that name? I don't remember it. Williams... William Cavendish! Cavendish. That's right. <laughs> he was Cavendish. That's right. And he had, like, seven names before yes. his name or whatever, and, I'm, yes. and, and none of them made sense. So that's the, what the House of Lords sounds like to me. It Yeah, so let's get into it. So the only thing I knew about the House of Lords was from the Beatles song, A Day in the Life. Hey. They, and I, I, titled, I have no reference for the House of Lords whatsoever. And I tell my paragraph, they, it, they go, Nobody was really sure if he was from the House of Lords. <laughs> you, don't, you know A Day in the Life, right? I probably do. I'm, I'm, I I'm read a, the news today. I'm not a huge oh, Beatles fan. Oh, that's like one of their seminal songs. Yeah, anyway, I'm sure I've heard it. Um. So again, I'm an American, and probably a lot of what I'm about to say is going to sound ignorant because I'm an American. We are ignorant. Um, reading up on the House of Lords, it sounds really fucked up. Not gonna lie, sounds really fucked up. Now we're fucked up. Trust me, I understand. We live in a plutocracy. Whatever. Um. And, like, we might as well call our representatives appointed based on the gerrymandering shit that goes on. To a degree, Um, yes. That certainly plays a role. But the House of Lords, they are appointed. Appointed, yeah. They are not. There was a time uh, up until, I think, around the late 1800s or early 1900s that the Senate was appointed. Okay, well... At and least pe- we've and people after <laughs> and people after a while. Well, why can't we vote for these people? Yes, too? which like, is why? what should happen in the House of yeah. Lords too. But like literally, the House of Lords are genuinely appointed in the truest sense of the words, as in by the fucking yeah. king or queen. Well, I mean, people have, over <laughs> over yonder over here <laughs> have proposed being able to vote for the cabinet, which I think is a fantastic hmm. idea. Because we know what the cabinet positions are. We vote for so, some versions of the cabinet in our state. We do. We vote for governor and um, a, not, not assistant governor. Lieutenant. Dep- Lieutenant. Yeah. <laughs> it's like not deputy. It's close um, enough. Same, same, same idea. <laughs> we, we vote for a fair number of those right. people. Yeah. Yeah. I do think appointments need to be like held in check, but then we yeah. need to make sure all elections are truly free and not gerrymandered and all. <laughs> Got a ways to go before that. Ever. That's well. never coming back. So basically, the monarch appoints the House of Lords based on various advice by people in power, and the people these people in power recommend are, of course, other people in power like bishops and peers, which is some weird British hierarchy social thing. From what I understand, and anyone British is welcome to correct me, from what I understand, class, specifically like peerage and stuff, is still very much a thing in the UK. I don't doubt so. that. I mean, it's been, it's been around for, gen- well, for generations for pretty much everybody. There's always been a class structure. Sure. No, absolutely. It's just, like, in the U.S., it's almost all about money mm-hmm. and race, right? That's where we are, like, the U.S. draws its lines. I'm not saying that's good. I'm just saying that it's different, right? Yeah. Versus how, what you're born we, we into. Don't, I was going to say, we don't have lords. No. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we have actually, old money and new money. I was going to say, we went to war specifically not to have that, apparently. Right? We just call them senators now. <laughs> I, mean, it, I mean, it's the old... Uh, well, uh, that one season of Fargo, the television show, mm-hmm. where the the guy asks him to bow before him, and he says he's, he he says he goes, he's like we don't have kings in this country, mm-hmm. and he goes, the character's like no, we do, we do, we just call them something else, yeah, and that's kind of how it is, but yeah. yes, we don't have. You're either a senator or a representative or a congressperson or the president. You're not the Lord Hillshire, right? <laughs> From the crest of Mount Blowflo, <laughs> seventh generation Ted. Uh huh. <laughs> like, like there's, there's not Ted. like there's not like eight things coming before like your name. Yeah, you, know, you yes. have like I'm this. Your position is this, and this is your name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so. so funny. 
<coughs> um, also, appointments to the House of Lords, lifelong. Mm-hmm. So it's like a... Also shit you need to get rid of. Yeah, it's like, well, you we should get rid of here. it with the Supreme Court, right? Yes. So imagine this is like just a gigantic Supreme Court. There's over 700 members of the House of Lords alone. Yeah. That alone. Been, yeah. Um... Uh, That have been given lifelong power. Yes. But now the idea is apparently that the House of Lords, their shit that they do can kind of be overridden by the House of Commons. The House of Commons, which is elected, has more legislative power. So um, there's still a ton of them. Which makes sense. Yeah. I mean. There's still... Many, many commoners. I don't know what they're called. Sure. Uh, no, member of parliament. Oh, That's yeah. what they're called. MPs. MPs, yes. Yeah. Um, there's not as many as lords, but there's still over 600. 600. Like, we have, what, 283 representatives? Uh, well, no. Uh, in the House, there's yeah. like 400-something. No, yes. it's like 200-something. I don't think so. I think it's like 400-something in the House. Hey, Siri. How many... Congress people are in the House of Representatives. 435. Okay, yeah, you were. Yeah. That's the maximum. Okay. Yeah. You you were absolutely cl- right. Well, Sorry, I thought it was way fewer. Well, I think that number you were coming, it's close to equal for both sides most times. Oh, I gotcha. So that's like per party, essentially. Yes. I gotcha. But yeah, in total. Or, or the split, if it were. Right. I see. I and see. then, obviously, we have only 50 senators, which either get rid of the Senate or have a matching number of senators for each state. Yeah, yeah, that's... But that's a whole other thing. Yeah. Um, like, we, so... we, we try to do democracy. <laughs> we try. We, we try. We dabble. You we know? dabble in democracy. We dabble in democracy. <laughs> and we try to bring it elsewhere so, so that other nations can We try to cram dabble. it down other people's throats. Yeah. So, um, the idea of the House of Commons is that they're meant to represent the general population. Commoners, right? They're constituents. And then, of course, there's the prime minister. <laughs> the commoners. Yes, who yeah. is the general leader of the government. So if we have to sort of draw a comparison-ish, and I know we have some British listeners who don't like when I just bring everything back to the U.S., but it's just so that I can understand we're from the U.S. It would sort of be like House of Commons is the House of Representatives. The House of Lords, not really like the Senate because little, senators little aren't bit. elected. They still little hold bit. a lot of power. Yeah. And the prime minister's kind of like the president, only not really, because, again, they're not elected. Um, yeah, senators serve a six-year term. They're the only branch that, or they're, they're the only position that does that. Six years, yeah. And they have a lot of power. They, they have essentially veto power. Because whatever comes to them from the House, mm-hmm. they can be like, well, thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, it's, not a, it's not a bad gig. You're, you'll, you'll make millions really quick. Yeah, yeah. Because you'll take all the fucking money you can. Yeah. So hopefully that made sense and was some version of accurate. So, uh, so moving on to Winston Churchill, everyone's favorite. So his premier premiership premiership post war was going to be entirely contingent upon whether the House of Commons election went his way. Sure. Meaning if his political party won the majority of seats. Because whoever won the House of Commons is who gets, the party gets to, the majority dictates who gets to be the prime minister. So basically, the people are voting for the party who will then choose the prime minister. So, Um, the 1945 election, just in general, was kind of a big deal because there hadn't been a general election for 10 years. Sure. Because the 1940 election was postponed due to the war. Churchill himself had, like, been, like, risen, simply risen in the ranks in the conservative parliament high enough that his, when when his predecessor, Neville Chamberlain, was forced to resign due to ill health, he became the prime minister. Mm-hmm. So Churchill was, like, in the right place at the right time, very strategically. And he was able to hold on during the war because there just wasn't another election. So his parties, the conservative party stayed in power. <coughs> um, and I guess he stayed in good enough health and in good enough standing with parliament to stay in place. 
1945 was like his first test. Um, in fact, it was a test he himself had set, though not without pressure. So Churchill himself had wanted to see the war through, like hold off the general election until like the Axis powers were done, right? So Japan until uh, VJ Day, right, basically. Mm. He wanted to wait until Japan was defeated or Japanese surrendered. At that point, by the summer of 45, that was like inevitable. Yes. It just had to actually happen. Um, but he was getting squeezed by the Labor Party. It's Labor Party, mm-hmm. but it's Boer because they like putting U's in things. Yes. It's spelled um, the same way in Canada, too. Yes. <laughs> Canada likes to put U's in things, too. Um to hold an election so he was like okay well we'll hold the election he was pretty confident he was going to win he's like hey i've gotten us through this whole war right um what but what churchill and the conservative party didn't take into account was the impact of recent events meaning both the war and the economic depression preceding it the british people were ready for a change (laughs) Yeah. And and not only preceding it, I mean it's it's going to carry on for a while yeah. too. Well, yes, there yeah. Um British people were ready for a change and that was what was being offered to them by the Labour Party. The Labour Party in return was offering quite the capitalist counterpoint to the British people. So in their election manifesto, the Labour Party election manifesto, they stated, "Quote, the Labour Party is a socialist party." And proud of it, end quote. Sure. I mean, I mean, like right now, today, like I just picture somebody saying like the Democratic Party is a socialist party and proud (laughs) of it. Oh, my God. (laughs) And if it did, oh, my God. Like, you know what? I mean, Republicans heads might literally explode if that ever happened. Well, then that would solve the problem, wouldn't it? (laughs) But literally, I mean, I saw this guy, uh, Mark Levin. Who is my favorite? Um, is that the video you posted on yeah, Facebook? Yeah, he's my favorite racist to uh, watch <laughs> videos of. <laughs> I really racist. I really thought I'm like, man, if this guy keeps going, he might have a heart attack because he's like he's like in his seventies, just absolutely having conniptions. And the name of his show is Life, Liberty, and Levin. <laughs> <laughs> As if you can't have the life or the liberty. It should that. be live, laugh, Levin. <laughs> that I mean. He just kept going, because I was watching it live last night when he was doing that, and he just kept going, and it was like, man, is he going to keep going, or is he going to die? <laughs> <laughs> One gonna, of two things will happen. <laughs> I'm going to listen to this whole thing. He might never stop. That's funny. But also, if you think about it, this is pretty... So, post-war America is our Cold War era. era. Oh, yeah. So, can you imagine if anyone... Now it is is also like it's impossible to think of anybody getting away with saying our party is the socialist party, um, but can you imagine if someone tried to say that in Cold War America, like literally? Because we were they would have gotten shot. <laughs> we were about to dive into <laughs> oh, wait. oh wait, people who just thought they might be socialists yes. still, still got shot in the yes. head. Yes, <laughs> we we were about to dive headlong into anything yeah. socialist or communist is bad, right? So, yeah, you didn't have to prove you were a socialist. Somebody just had to have a hunch, and that was good enough for right? them. Right? Um, and at the same time, Great Britain was leaning fully into a new era, sure. if not of socialism, at least kinder, gentler capitalism. Well, they and they also, I believe it was in 1949... Don't go too far, because we're still going. Oh, okay. All right. Don't start talking about the NHS, because we're going to get to that. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So one of the biggest promises labor was offering was a social welfare system, which, here's a shock, is just a highly popular thing to most people in most places most of the time. Imagine. And it was especially attractive to the enormous contingent of veterans and their families who were absolutely looking for change more than anyone. Now, to be fair, the Conservative Party was also offering some pretty progressive programs, too, which is hard to believe, but... Not necessarily. It, not back then. <clears throat> just to, Probably just to a lesser degree. And But it's also really depressing that taking care of your citizenry is considered progressive, but... <laughs> Welcome right. to 2023 America. Not just uh, the right thing to do. 
But the Conservative Party was also really aligned in the minds of the British public with the austerity of the past decade, which swung momentum towards the Labour Party. The Labour Party just, like, absolutely cleaned house of commons. Ha ha. Um, I literally wrote that in. It's a cute little joke. Uh, in the 1945 election, winning a majority of seats and resulting in the appointment of Clement Attlee as Prime Minister, Churchill, of course, was not a fan of Attlee's and was a bit of a bully about it, mm. calling Attlee, quote, a sheep in sheep's clothing, and <laughs> which is like a sick Churchill burn, but want, still. You don't want to hear what he thought of the people in India. Oh, God. <laughs> Despite his cold and meek exterior, Atlee's administration, or I think they call them their ministries, I don't know, uh, resulted in a huge social shift in Britain in what has come to be known as the post-war consensus. Sure. So one of the biggest shocks to me in this whole story is that a bunch of politicians promised something in an election and then followed through. <laughs> and delivered. <laughs> and then got voted into office again. Yeah. Who knew? What's your secret? Yeah. I mean, for fuck's sake. It's really so, not that hard. Yeah. Part of the reason this could be done was thanks to the rise of Keynesian economics. Sure. So John Maynard Keynes was an influential 20th, 20th century British economist who published his best-known book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, in 1936. I know, it sounds like a barn burner. I know you're going to go and buy it from Barnes & Noble while all the books are 75% off. Right? I'm just going to steal it from your bookshelf because you've probably got it in here <laughs> I somewhere. I don't. Oh, I don't. Okay. I have mostly... So I have Souls, Basic Economics, and I have Wealth of Nations. You've got a good... Uh, 35 economics books in here? Yeah. There's another pile of the nine that I bought today okay, anyway. so there we go. So 44. Well. That, almost the same year we're in. <laughs> so it was a timely work that attempted to address the problems of the economic depression of the Western world, right? This is the um, Great Depression was Western worldwide, right? Mm -hmm. Um. Keynes addressed the problem of instability in a capitalist economy that results from demand and being out of whack of supply, which can lead to problems in production, employment, and inflation. Absolutely. So the economic <clears throat> model that came out of his work, aptly called Keynesian economics, attempts to temper the volatility of capitalism. That's your first mistake. Don't try to try to fix capitalism. Anyway, anyway, I'll, well, I'll also, save that for my other podcast. <laughs> but they also learned lessons of supply and demand post-World War One. Mm -hmm. So yeah. post-World War Two, they were like, well, what we tried the last time didn't really work because mm -hmm. it led to another world war. Uh, Let's try something different well, this time, shall we? There you go. Um, so t the, he was like, a, or the Keynesian economics attempts to temper the volatility of capitalism through a private sector response, there's another issue. Red flag. But with a specific role for government in regulation. So in other words, while it still advocates the typical capitalist bullshit of attempting to fix problems with private industry, which, oh my God, corporate profit-motivated industry will never give a shit. So stop working with them. Anyway... It's not still not the worst of the capitalist models in that it doesn't eliminate government intervention, right? Correct. In fact, it, it says that there's a place for it. Um, but it is still capitalism. So it's not like this model of economics thinks the government should respond to help individuals. Rather, it's meant to address the resulting inefficiencies of a volatile economy. This is not, let's take care of people. No, this is... This is still the cold-blooded capitalism. It's just helping people more. <laughs> um, it's just going to chip, chip a couple people off a few. Yeah. Like, like here, we got you. We got you here. We got you there. Not everywhere, but. Or as a side effect, people are better off, but it's not yeah. not the Well, I mean, it was going to be. Attempt. It was going to be a rough going post-World War II, <laughs> of no, course. Matter, no matter what. Of course. And really, at least. Freedmen's economics weren't in vogue at this point, you know. So, 
We'll get to that later because we're sure. going to get through the Thatcher years in this series, right? Oh, That's why I'm like, yes. this is going to be a socio-political, economic... You mean, uh, you mean <coughs> Margaret Reagan? Yeah. Or, British uh, Reagan? Yes. Or it, or was Reagan uh, uh, American Thatcher? Because yeah. hmm. she came first. Reagan, American Thatcher. <laughs> she came first. She, she was did. That, that, is, that is correct. Um, so... The idea is when with Keynesian economics, when the economy is in a recession or a depression, that's when the government should be stepping in for regulation. Sure. Of course, it's just one aspect of Keynesian economics. It's highly oversimplified. I get it. But it does show why there was some version of consensus in mid 20th century British politics between the conservative and labor parties to such an extent, in fact, that it has become been come has come to be known as the post-war consensus. So the policies would come to be hallmarks of the post-war, the policy, oh my God. Oh, can you tell I just played a four-hour gig in I a can. place that smelled like pee? Yes. The policies that would come to be hallmarks of the post-war consensus were developed during the war with its origins in the beverage report. And it's not like drinking beverage, B-E-V-E-R-I-D-G-E. A governmental report drafted by a liberal economist named William Beveridge with significant input and support from his wife, Janet Beveridge, because let us never forget the just countless hours of invisible labor women do all the time, especially to subpar men. I I was going to go with John Beveridge as the name. John Beveridge? Yeah, but I was close because his wife's name was Janet. Well, Bill and Jan (laughs) Beveridge. (laughs) The beverage. But John and Jan. Uh, John and Jan. John and Jan beverage. At your service. <laughs> Why they didn't go into the beverage industry, who knows? They could be beverages, beverages. There you go. <laughs> the beverage report, published in 1942, was meant to pave a way forward for post war Britain once that became a reality, right? This is 42, so mm-hmm. they were still in the middle of the war, but they're like, what, what's going to happen after this? You know what? We need to think ahead. <laughs> yeah, we need to think of what's going to happen what? next here. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, the report advocated for policies of social insurance meted out on a flat universal benefit. In other words, it was a baseline social safety net for all, not for those who met certain means tests. It's for everybody. The report didn't go as far as to call any social guarantees Human rights, though, and still included some rooms, room for the personal responsibility element, um, which, by the way, uh, Michael Hobbs on maintenance phase gave my new, said my new favorite phrase, personal response bootstraps. <laughs> Gonna use that from now on. Anyway. Uh, and that's probably... Shout out to Michael Hobbs. Yes. Thank you, Michael Hobbs. And that's probably what made it more con- attractive to conservatives, right? They, it did still dabble in the personal responsibility element of things. And it is, like I said, it's still like the, the whole thing behind Keynesian economics is like still ec- economically motivated. It is not let's help people. It's Correct. let's stabilize markets, right? And so anyway. And the best, um, best way to do that post-war <clears throat> is give everybody a job and give everybody well, a reason. Like, hey, we got to rebuild this, but we all got to do it together. Yeah. So, so in the words of the report, quote, it should leave room and encouragement for voluntary action by each individual to provide more than that minimum for himself and his family, end quote. When Attlee came into power, he relied heavily on both the Beveridge Report and Keynesian economics to tackle five main areas. First, the mixed economy. Two, full employment. Three, Mm -hmm. conciliation of the trade unions. Four, welfare. And five, and this is a biggie, retreat from empire. In other words, we got to stop trying to take over the world. Let's, Let's pull back here. Let's stop doing that. A uh, lesson that some countries one of these <clears throat> days should learn. Mm. So looking back on it, especially in our current political climate, it's pretty stunning that both sides of the aisle agreed on this. But yeah, if you think it about is. it, these were extraordinary times. And Great Britain needed a ton of build, building back up. Yeah. Nobody could 
on and top of the fact otherwise. that everybody was probably just exhausted. Yeah. They just that's, went through. And the war was way longer for them than it was for us, mm-hmm. and it was on their own turf. Yes. So there's so much damage. They were probably like, you know what? Death, Let's yeah. call a timeout for a good mm-hmm. uh, fifty years. Let's fucking get our shit together yeah. and not do this again, or not build up the reasons to why this could happen again. And then we'll uh, appoint the devil incarnate <laughs> as uh, as our prime minister. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> no, that's not fair to Reagan. He's the devil incarnate. So what is she? Uh, I, don't I don't know. We'll find out. The uh, the the fate of Shara. What's that? I remember uh, it's a Deftone song. You looked it up. It meant like a oh a, oh that's it meant that's like right. a witch or something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, f- so <clears throat> for anyone to vote against investing in the well-being of the British people after so many people had sacrificed so much could have led to like a a bad political backlash too. You know, it sure. may have been partially just like it's in our best interest politically to like give the people something. So many there. things could have gone so many different directions post war. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For for everybody. For everybody, yes. It's also worth noting some historians actually contest the idea that this was a consensus at all and that many conservatives actually fought back really hard on public investment. So I, I'm in certain sectors I'm sure they did. Yeah, but fight though they may have, that did not stop some radical and highly popular programs from being implemented. One of the most memorable results of the post-war consensus was the establishment of the still-beloved and unfortunately imperiled... NHS. National Health Service, exactly, which started on July 5th, 1948. Oh, I got it just wrong. I think I said 49. But yeah. In fact, the post-war consensus led to many industries being nationalized to varying degrees of perceived success. For example, coal mining pits, which employed upwards of a million people, became nationalized. The resulting National Coal Board was much more pro-worker and helped protect these millions of workers, or a million worker, from what had become extremely harsh and hazardous working conditions. So unions, labor had a moment too. Another, oh, now here we go. Like, what? All of this, 47 minutes in. Let's start talking about transportation. Okay. All right. <laughs> another industry nationalized in the post war era. <laughs> Definitely gonna have to get another beer at some point. <laughs> and the one most important to this story was transportation. Sure. The Transportation Act of 1947 led to the creation of the British Transport Commission, the BTC. On January 1st, 1948, the BTC was given authority over rail, road, and water transport, thereby nationalizing British railways. And we had our own... Everything was not nationalized, obviously, but we had our own version of this by building the interstate uh, highway system. uh, Yes, you're right that uh, the U.S. went cars. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, That's for sure. Which, for... England went... Or, well, the U.K., when went mass transit. Went rail, yes. essentially. It, there are very fair like arguments to be made regarding just the sheer size of the United States and the need for car transport. But there's also some good arguments that we too. have become way too um, dependent on yeah. and built our cities way too far yeah. towards um, cars, especially given... Yeah. I would love to take a bullet emissions. train to San Diego and only take four hours to get there. Like, well, that'd be awesome. Well, and also just emissions, like what we're yeah. doing in emissions based on cars. So anyway. <laughs> Any hoodle. Let's get it done, America. <laughs> Make America done again. <laughs> so on to uh, the topic. Yes. Among the BTC's folio of subsidiaries was the former London Passenger Transport Board, which became the London Transport Executive. Under the new BTC, more attention was paid to reconstructing the railways of Britain, while much of the unfinished pre-war plans for the tube were abandoned or delayed. While maintenance of the underground was falling a little bit by the wayside, expansion was in the works as plans were made for a new subway line, the Victoria Line, in an effort to reduce traffic congestion in other parts of the tube. The UK public turned out for the next general election in 1950, almost 84% of people turned out for that election. Yeah. Which is great voter turnout. We've never had anything close to that. (laughs) Like, if we crack 50%, everybody's like, hey, that's a great turnout. 
Almost half. <laughs> yeah. Atlee kept his appointment as the later Labour Party kept their majority, though at a much smaller margin. The middle class had started pushing back against the Labour Party due to inflation and the rising cost of food staples. Sure. So, now that I've given probably one of the most detailed and thorough socio-economopolitical backgrounds of any topic ever, we come to our first disaster in the London underground, the Stratford tube crash. Okay. So this crash happened around Stratford Station, which is on the northeast side of the city, not far from, like, it, obviously, the tube station is still in, like, in, in operation today, and right now it is not far from London Stadium, which was built for the 2012 Olympics. It's the home of, do you know which football club? Is it, um, uh, I don't know. West Ham United. I would not have guessed that. On the evening of Wednesday, April 8th, 1953, train car 71, or train 71 rather, was carrying an estimated 400 to 500 passengers in its eight cars during rush hour. It was approaching 7 p.m. The train was departing Stratford Station, headed eastbound. So this was a train going out of central London. Um... And it was going towards the next stop, which was Leighton Station. Inside the tunnel between the two stations, signal A491 had been damaged. It wasn't working. And because of this, the signal before this, near the entrance of the tunnel, signal A489, was kept in what they called the danger position. It was a red light. And the, the protocol for this danger position was that the train driver was required to come to a full stop, then proceed very slowly, proceed with caution. Um, Train 71 did come to a complete stop, and that's known because it's, this is a real word, tripcock (laughs) was triggered. So (laughs) the tripcock is an an emergency brake mechanism that engages if a train is going past a red light. So, yeah, because they're likely headed into another train if they're going past a red light. Right, right. That could so you need to ha- you need to have a backup system. Exactly. So the, this the driver of seventy one absolutely did come to a complete stop, reset the tripcock, and proceeded at a very slow pace. Um, that's called the stop and proceed rule. And under those rules, trains traveled at speed of ten miles per hour, sixteen kilometers per hour, or less. Sure. So really, really slow, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Just to keep an eye out, like yeah, mm-hmm. caution. Mm-hmm. About <laughs> what? <laughs> about halfway through the tunnel, train seventy one came to a full stop during its slow journey to Leighton Station, mm-hmm. as it encountered a stalled train, number thirty nine, up ahead. So there was a, a train stalled out in front of them. Mm-hmm. They were going super slow, oh, so they just goodness. stopped. Oh, jeez. <clears throat> you can see where this is kind of going, huh? Behind train 71 came train 59, yeah. which was also comprised of eight cars, also carrying an estimated 400 or 500 passengers. The driver of train 59 could not find his first name, but a Mr. Besley would later state that he also, just like the driver of 71, came to a stop at that red light before proceeding. The train then began coasting slightly downhill into the tunnel. Mr. Besley later said that at some point, a thick cloud of black dust kicked up in front of him, Mm -hmm. obscuring his view. And as a result, that's why he did not see the brake lights of train 71 in front of him until he was only a couple of meters away. He tried slamming on the brakes. Didn't. Obviously not in time. At 6.56 p.m. local time, going an estimated speed of 15 to 20 20 miles an hour, 24 to 32 kilometers per hour, train 59 crashed into the rear cars of train 71, Causing train 59 to partially run up and over train 71. It's called telescoping. mm -hmm. Because when you're going at that speed, hitting something that's stationary, I mean, that's... It's it's not even all that fast, but it's fast enough, right? It's fast enough. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, uh, one car uh, has a heavy train. One car mm-hmm. car has zero momentum because yes. it's just sitting there. Mm-hmm. The one, the other one has a ton of momentum. Yes, uh huh. So, yeah, that's true. <sighs> yeah. Oh, God. The West Ham Fire Brigade arrived on the scene about twenty minutes later, along with doctors, nurses, and ambulances from local hospitals. So you can imagine. Mm. Rescuing a bunch of people in the middle of a tunnel in 1953 was not easy. No, but they all had practice from from, uh, well, from the war. You know the British Pathé um, uh, newsreel that like it looked like a bunch of people who knew what they were doing. Yeah. Very competent yeah, rescuers because, because, because they, they had all knew what they were doing. The war. Yes. Yeah, that, that's not something we, we yeah. Uh, where we are, we can't fathom because yeah, we true. we have not had a major war over mm-hmm. here in 170 years, 60 something, whatever. It was the Civil that's War true. for those who were wondering. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last time there was a major war front in this country. Mm-hmm. So obviously it was difficult to extract survivors. They had to use, also, imagine this. All this smoke and dust and everything in an enclosed space. They had yeah. to use fans, yep. haul in oxygen tanks to protect the lungs of both the passengers and the rescuers, given the density of smoke. Yeah, you can't just send people in there. <clears throat> no. The passengers in the last six cars of train 59, so the one that hit the other one, they were largely uninjured, right? Because mm-hmm. obviously there was yeah, a crash, but... It's... It was, Nothing happened to them. There was a buffer between. Yes. Uh huh. And then, oh and mostly they had to walk back through the tunnel. And they to probably Stratford. didn't. And they probably didn't realize fully what had happened. Yeah, they probably didn't see it. They were just like, "Come on." It was like yeah. that was a loud noise. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. The passengers near the front of train seventy-one, along with the passengers of the stalled train thirty-nine. So these are the other. That's the other train, right? The train that got hit the front was not as bad right no. because that's not where it was hit so those passengers who were fine and then the passengers of the stalled train in front they had to walk the other way they had to go up to Leighton station those in the unlucky middle were the dead and injured in all 12 passengers died mm. nine on the scene including one child and three later in the hospital sure Reports stated that an additional 46 to 49 people were injured. With something like that, I'm going to take the high number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, even, even if you got a cut on your face, like right. that's, that's an injury to me. Here's a couple pictures, people walking through the tunnel. Yep. And then them Taking hauling out, out the, the carts for the bodies. Yep. And these were um, nurses working. <laughs> mm-hmm. You can see their faces oh, are... it's full of soot. Yes. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, plenty of experience with that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, from from the previous war. Yeah. Fourteen other tube cars were stalled as a result of the accident, and some passengers had to get off the trains and out of the tunnels via fan shafts. The cars themselves took a full day to extract, and regular tube schedules resumed on Friday morning. The Ministry of Transport conducted an inquiry into the crash, publishing their report four months later. No mechanical faults were found at all in train 59. Its brakes were considered in working order, although damage was noted on the brakes of the two front cars. What I'm figuring is probably because of the sudden stop, right? Sure. Um, But I couldn't find any more information on that. The driver, Mr. Besley of uh, train 59, was found to be fully qualified and sufficiently trained. He had been driving cars for uh, the tube cars for trains for three years and had even recently attended a refresher course on train safety, including a full day that talked about proceeding with caution on yeah. a danger light. So, he, I mean... <clears throat> well, so his last yeah. medical exam, exam, which was a few years earlier, had shown his eyesight was fine. The inquiry found that Mr. Besley's story about not being able to see the brake lights of Train 71, they're like, look, that's not particularly plausible that all of a sudden this big cloud of dust obscured your vision. But they also were like, it's possible. Well, no, they were thinking it's possible you're just not going to remember correctly because you have a head injury. There's so that, there's, that, there's that as well. Yeah. He got a concussion in the injury. So sure. they're like, we don't know how reliable you really are to remember. 
The report also found that train 59, unlike train 71, had not been tripped at light 59, so there was a possibility that Mr. Besley never even stopped at the lights. Ultimately, the cause of the crash was determined to be driver error. Yeah. And I could find no more information on what yeah. happened from there. But. Well, I mean, I mean, it, you know, I mean, it kind of was not, not under the influence or anything like that. Just a simple mistake. Yeah, and then, mistakes. I mean, and even if it was just that he got a little careless and there was a little downward hill, downhill yeah. momentum, that would have been enough to pick up the speed and because yeah. I mean, uh, we know he wasn't on his cell phone because those didn't exist. Mm-hmm. You know. So these That's people, the one they, thing we know. You know. Yeah. So they're probably paying attention at all. It's just mm-hmm. a just a random fuck up, and yeah. unfortunately, it led to. And and know. they didn't have the same mechanisms no. and warning systems and other stuff that they would no. have now. I would imagine. Not even close. No, there are on those rail systems now. I'm positive there are sensors all over the fucking place. I would sure think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All over the train, all mm-hmm. over the tunnel, mm-hmm. like you know. At the time, the Stratford crash was the worst disaster of the London Underground. Mm. But the Stratford disaster would be eclipsed almost 22 years later by the next London Underground topic, the Moorgate tube crash. And that was the story of London. 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 London London Underground. Is that where where Guns and Roses (laughs) are? Yes, they're playing in London. (laughs) They're from London. London Underground, Part 1, The Stratford <laughs> Tube Crash. <laughs> the, the, the crash is not funny. Is Guns and Russians in London yes. is funny. <laughs> yeah. I, I finally got you on something. <laughs> yeah, Guns and Russians was so so long ago, though. But anyway. Well, you know, I pispronunciate some of my limbs. <laughs> but I wanted to throw in that this was an excellent topic, and we know what that means. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. But the story was what it was. Uh, these things just happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to maybe uh, involve the audience. Ooh, audience participation. Well, are you gonna have them all stand up and do jumping jacks? What if we do a Twitch stream? Oh. On an almost hour-long video on MTV's 1985. <laughs> The Year in Rock. <laughs> That'd be fun. I came upon it last night, uh-huh. started to watch it, and I was like, no. I was like, this would be a fun thing to, okay. react, to react to. So I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. I don't know if you're interested. Yeah, we haven't done a Twitch stream I don't know our, if our audience is interested, but if you are, uh-huh. after you hear this episode, let us know. Okay. On all of our social media platforms. Or email. That too. If you don't do the social meets. Yeah. Sure. That works as well. There we go. So, I just wanted to uh, throw that out. Sure, for anyone who's listened to the end. <laughs> we'll <laughs> yeah, find out. <laughs> which you might not have done. <laughs> As we found out, uh, <clears throat> people are listening to way back episodes. Yes. And like, uh, that was like four years ago. Yeah. Which is so weird. I know. That's the problem with having a back catalog of 300 plus episodes. There's like 300 plus hours of us talking. Oh, yeah. Recorded. Out there somewhere. And released into the world. Yeah. Just make it through the apocalypse. We might be famous way long after we're dead. <laughs> oh, what if we're like a relic that... Yeah. Um, I hope so. Somebody finds It's like Horizon day. Zero Dawn. That's what I want my afterlife to be like. Somebody will stumble upon this podcast. And fight off a mechanical dinosaur at the same time. Whilst listening to yeah. all bad things. Okay. Because yeah, they were inspired. Oh, all right, then. Hero's journey. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, like, as soon as you said, like, the, well, the tube system, their subway right. system, mm-hmm. I was like, I already know where this is going. Well, it's, it's either, not it's going either, we're good, right? Right. It's, I'm like, it's either a crowd crush <laughs> or it's a train collision or both. Or. Did you read what, did I, did you listen to what the third I, one was? I did, and I, yeah, I didn't want to. Fire. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing no. that can happen. Don't want that. I'm never going to London now. <laughs> like I said, for 1.35 billion passengers I know, nothing, a year, yeah, it's no that big this deal. few things have happened, yeah. it's pretty remarkable. No, so. I mean, but when you have numbers that great, like at some point. It's going to happen, yes. But yes, overall the percentage is like 
point zero with right. you know, like mm-hmm. eighty zeros in front of like a one. You know, and this was unfortunately twelve people. Yes, twelve people then. And yeah. But I mean I, I guess on on a better note, like billions of people go through this and nothing and ever happens. Nothing happens. That's true. That's so. true. But it would kind of suck to be like, well, I made it through the war and then died on the fucking subway. That would suck really bad. Really bad. Yeah. So on that note, (laughs) this has been another episode of All Bad Things. That was the London Underground Part 1, the Stratford Tube Crash, Part 1 of a three-part series. Yes. Uh, Projected. (laughs) Projected. Three-part series. This has been another episode of All Bad Things. As I said before, I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.